Hey, and welcome to this podcast about the human factor in HSE, where we will touch upon how we can send more people home safe, create significant cost savings, and make you look like an HSE rock star using neuroscience safety. My name is Bjorn Jepsen. I'm the CEO and founder of WeFocus. I will be your host on this particular podcast. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to acceptplanexecute.com. Otherwise, I truly hope that you will enjoy this podcast. Hello to everyone and welcome to this episode of uh, the podcast. I'm truly excited. Today, I have a very skilled and talented HSC professional who's going to share a bit about his passion for HSC and why he in the first place actually came into this game. And I can't wait to hear his story. So, Tosh... Would you please take the floor, give a just a short explanation of where you're actually working right now. I also always love to hear where you are today, but let's start off easy. How are you today, Tosh? Thank you, Bon. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well, thank you. Um, please go ahead. Whereabouts are you right now, Tosh? I'm in Houston, Texas. I work for a company called PPI Quality and Engineering. We're part of the Kiwa Group, and I'm responsible for the health, safety, security, uh, environmental operations, excellence, and quality um, aspects of the organization. We are a global company. We work uh, worldwide doing um, inspection, engineering, quality assurance, quality control services, I got into the safety world, you could say, by accident. Hmm. So many years ago, yep. I was involved in a motorcycle accident. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was it was really rough. I broke, you know, one of the big bones in my leg, the femur, and I was lying in this hospital facing the possibility that I, I might never walk again. So lying there, I was thinking to myself, hey, Tosh, you wasted a lot of your time. <laughs> when you get out of here, you need to have, you know, some more drive and determination to make something meaningful with your life. Yeah. And that's kind of what got me to, you know, get the passion around wanting to do more, wanting to be excellent. And of course, you know, I had my um, own realization of, yep. you know, what was important and the hope that I found there was able to lead me to going from studying in uh, biochemistry to civil engineering, where I eventually uh, got my master's in project management and through that I started um, working with an organization um, called Bechtel, their uh, worldwide uh, construction organization, um, one of the largest privately held uh, corporations in the world. Oh, and wow. we worked on the LNG project. While working on the LNG project, there was a multiple fatality incident. Oh. And just before that happened, 
I had done an audit on the safety aspects of the system and there was one thing that bothered me about the the audit that I had done and it was that the scaffolding system when I had done the inspection you know it was kind of shaky so I talked to the engineer and I I talked to the project manager and they convinced me that it was okay that this was how it was supposed to be it was not it was not okay and uh, unfortunately you know uh, some workers fell off that and that really tore me up inside I felt you know that this was my responsibility and you know I made a promise that when I was going to do this in the future, you know, I would be thorough. I was going to do, you know, my due diligence as much as I could do on my side to ensure that I did an excellent job. And that motivation is what kind of got me, you know, focused on this career track. I understand. How many years ago is this? How far back uh, are we? This was in 2001. Okay. So 2001, this is kind of where you're doing the first step into the HSC world. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Before that, I was more into the engineering aspect. Okay. Do you think that it has been an advantage for you that you have the engineering background moving forward in HSC? Oh, definitely, definitely. A lot of professionals come in um, sometimes with uh, industrial hygiene background. Um, a lot come in with uh, industrial engineering. And now there's, uh, back then in the late uh, 90s, early 2000s, there really wasn't like a safety degree. Now there's a, a lot of that in schools that you could actually go in and, and learn about the industrial hygiene aspect, the industrial engineering aspect, about processes, inspections, how things are put together, the process safety parts. Yeah, definitely. All right, so if you were to look upon the change that has been in the HSC world or how it's being used on an everyday basis in organizations, what would you say that that's the biggest difference from when you work, went to work back in 2001 or 2002 until today? What were your assignments at that time and what are you kind of looking at? What kind of assignments are you looking at right now? That's a great question. Thank you. The tasks that I was given back then were more inspections type mm. activities. So I would check to verify things were done. So I would, you know, use a checklist, for example, and it had, you know, these are the tasks that need to be done, essentially, you know, that was the core aspect of it. So somebody was assigned to do these tasks and, you know, more of the job was making sure that people were trained to accomplish the task that they needed to do and it was done. Unfortunately, back then, 
the driver that the task wasn't done would be that somebody would get hurt. Now, the task is more of training the person so they are aware of why they need to do the task and that even if they miss doing it, there's some built-in contingency in the process where it doesn't result in someone getting hurt. So it's using that, you know, hierarchy um, of prevention where if it's possible, you try to eliminate the risk altogether. If not, you try to engineer the risk so it prevents it from making it to a person. If that's not possible, then you use some administrative control, like a procedure. And if that is then not possible, then you use some um, PPE type approach. I understand, and obviously that's a huge shift of kind of going and being policing and checking, making sure that there's compliance. When did you start to notice that there was a change in the work assignments that you had? Oh, that's good. Uh, I think the change happened possibly in the early 2000s somewhere around there is when I noticed it shifting, at least in, in, in Bechtel where I worked because they were one of the pioneers in leading a lot of the behavior-based safety programs. Okay. And right now in the current position that you're in right now, do, do you have a managerial responsibility? Do you have a staff? a group of staff member working for you? I do have managerial responsibility. Um, not a large staff when we, the organization is much different now where there's a lot of use of uh, specialty contractors. There's a, a lot of use of um, personnel wearing multiple hats. So there's not necessarily sometimes in some of these organizations uh, dedicated resources. So what I mean by that is now you would see um, companies combine roles like quality and safety, whereas uh, back in the late 90s there was you know a lot more separate functions. Now you would have a report up to a VP of uh, HSC and safety. Um, Sometimes you might even see that there's a combination of safety and operations, which, you know, you would never see back in the day. And do you see that as a good development? Well, that's a tricky question, right? Uh, certainly, um, it's the mindset because sometimes you have to take a moment and say, okay, we need to take a break and refocus. And having the perspective that, you know, just like you do in that uh, program that you offer, you know, which is so interesting that you shift your mental perspective to where you can actually say, wait a minute, 
this isn't set up right. We need to pause and look at this process, you know, having that moment to be able to stop and think, okay, I'm not in the right frame of mind to do this task. I need to reset my thinking is the difference between someone getting hurt and someone, you know, being safe. And I think your mental focus training is actually very key in, in helping to develop that. I, I really enjoyed um, how you put together that training and where you got to um, make someone aware that you're doing a task is something you, you know to do, you've done it so well, but now you're in a frame of mind where it's possible that you could make a mistake. You or someone else can get hurt. And I'm not sure that if you're having both of those roles in operations and safety, that um, that would be your focus at a point in time to be able to do that because you're thinking numbers, deadlines, other KPIs would be taking higher priorities in your mind than um, refocusing and pausing production. So that's that would be like an internal conflict you would deal with, you know? Yeah, um, I agree with you, but I'll, first of all, thank you so much for the credit on the training. That is That means a lot to me. I'm especially coming from someone who is as experienced as you that we can actually go in and train you on something new that makes an impact into your everyday life. That That's why I go to work each and every day. So first of all, thank you for putting words into that. And secondly, to kind of comment on this combination of having different hats that you need to execute upon in a everyday life. I, I think that it is quite interesting, your perspective of it's it's hard to know what KPI you will be measured on because if you're a part of kind of the production team but you also have the HSC responsibility it's very seldom that you have an organization where it is profound more respected to keep people safe than to increase the productivity because if you increase the productivity and there are no injuries well, then you don't look upon that. Why didn't there happen any injuries? It was just to just see the higher productivity. And I, I, from from my and from my nerdy perspective, it's we obviously need to make a combination so that these two are kind of dovetailing into each other. But I think that it's a great reflection that you have that it's very hard not to look upon the KPI that you know that you will be measured on and that you will get credit for in the organization. So now the great question is, Tosh, how do you make sure that this doesn't happen in your team? Because as I understood, the people you have that you work with and that work for you kind of have multiple hats. So how do you make sure that they have the right perspective in their everyday life? That's a great question, right? That's the million dollar question right there. The heart of, of what we do is communication. And I think that's at the, the core of any good team is communication. Having the ability to recognize the key positions, 
the key drivers that each person deals with and ensuring that they're skilled up in terms of being able to pivot their thinking when they need to realize be self-aware when they may have a bias I think is one of the key aspects in um, communicating and, and training skilling up someone uh, to perform effectively and when I say training and, and upskilling I mean you can receive training it doesn't necessarily mean that you have the skill so one of the things I seek to do is build a level of uh, competency or ensure that the person already has that competency built in depending on the situation and the complexity of what they're dealing with with a specific customer typically what what I like to do is you know look at some of their past performance history um, you know where possible use the opportunity for coaching and feedback and uh, present you know these scenarios where they can demonstrate the skill so essentially it's training presenting the situation where they can apply the learning verifying that it's effective and watching the performance over time and the better they get <clears throat> excuse me at reporting and at identifying these moments when they're able to say hey everybody we need to stop and take a break this isn't progressing the way it's supposed to having the ability to actually say okay we need to stop work right now is one of the key leadership factors that I, I look for and 90 I would say 99% of the time you know the best thing that they've done in that time is to get everybody to pivot their thinking by saying okay let's stop for a moment and I mean our customers love it they love that these guys are so focused these guys are so focused at being able to recognize that they need to stop work not everybody is happy about it but you know it's that perspective shift right realizing okay I'm you know I'm glad this person actually helped us like you said you know it's um, there's that battle of which KPI is important and sometimes not everybody's perspective is on the same page but when you pivot and get them there they realize oh thank you for doing this you really helped me and you know um, feedback is a gift <laughs> but it's always hindsight right it's not something you can say we're gonna stop work today to make sure we do it right it's like it's happening and oh we need to stop refocus exactly so um, I shared an article this week about a relatively old study that Google did uh, a while back which was on kind of they, they investigated I think more than 2,000 of their internal teams to figure out what made a high-performing team and kind of what was the most productive team and even back then right this is before COVID before everyone certainly could work online they concluded like there were five factors that had very to little effects on the productivity of the team 
So it was stuff like people actually sitting together, the years of experience that went into the team, the ability to actually make a consensus driven decisions. These were all factors that had no to little effects on the performance of the team. Now, on the other hand, the, the one single thing that could be identified as driving the success upwards within a team were if people were feeling secure, if they were feeling psychologically welcome into the team and they would dare to speak their mind, even if it were going against the entire group and saying, I, I know that every one of you thinks that this is the right way, but I must say, even though that I am the one with the least experience in the team, I think this is wrong. And then taking it from there. And that was actually the only thing that they could conclude that had a significant impact to the performance of the team, which I find extremely interesting. And that is also what you're actually ex explaining right now is that this is what you guys are doing. They're actually saying, hey, we, we, we actually need to stop. So they're going against the stream, right? Because there are all of these different in um, sorry there are all of these different approaches everyone has different kpis and actually going against that but when we succeed in actually telling that story in a way so that everyone can see that we're actually moving in the same direction we just need to make sure that we're moving there safely and in the most productive way this is when we succeed so it, it is it's quite inspiring to hear you tell about your everyday job. So if you look upon like the last five years and if you can't quote on your current job, maybe you can do it in an industrial perspective. What do you see as being the biggest problem still today in HSC and delivering results from an HSC point of view? Well, I'm, I'm glad you really touched on that uh, psychological safety aspect. I think the biggest issue speaking in, in general is the psychological aspect of safety. There, I live in uh, Texas, so Texas is home to, you know, a lot of um, petrochemical plants and of course you know a lot of those plants have uh, incidents and one of the things you recognize is that you always ask yourself you know is this a, a location that i want to you know work in or is this a, a, a plant that i feel safe going into and i think the psychological safety aspect is when you go into a facility and you go through the training, you go through the orientation, you, they tell you what the job tasks are, how you stay safe. The uh, person performing the tasks has to feel that, you know, if there were an incident, that they would be safe. They wouldn't get hurt. They would be able to go home to their family. And I think that uh, aspect is discussed in the ISO 45001 standard, but more so um, the national standardization organizations are realizing that they need a standard on psychological safety. And I think you would see more of that standard getting developed and issued 
um, as we move forward, because that is something that's real, that's tangible, that's important to being able to have people perform more and more complex tasks. And that draft is out there, the ISO standard for psychological safety. So it's, it's coming on an international scale as well. So, so being able to go into a work environment, um, be able to know that the organization that you work for is committed to provide you the training and the resources you need to stay safe, I think is one of the biggest uh, signs of a company you want to work for. Definitely, and, and thank you so much for elaborating on this. So if it's a good time for you, could we go back to the question of what do you see as still being the biggest problem in HSE if you look back just the last three or five years that we're still struggling with today in your perspective? Um, from my perspective, the the challenge is that not all organizations have pivoted from the checklist approach. So they're still on, you know, this task, uh, is it done or not done? And they haven't pivoted to the behavior-based model, the psychological safety type aspects of providing the skills, the resources, the ability for the individual to pivot and be able to recognize when they're facing um, danger or when they're not in the right mindset to be able to perform a task. So the, the difference is that a lot of organizations ramp up so fast with manpower that it's not something that they factor into um, skilling someone, upskilling someone when they need them to perform a specific task. So the orientation would be, uh, are you legal to work? Here's your benefits, fill out the forms, do your drug tests, go through the safety training, go through all the system training, and then you're good to work. Well, there should be more than that. And, and that's kind of the challenge. And, and in your opinion, what should that more be? I think that more should be based on the complexity of, of the task they perform. If they sit at a keyboard, then they should recognize there's certain ergonomic um, strain positions, there's uh, body positioning, things that they could have by performing the same task in the same position, the ability to realize that, okay, I need to get up and walk around you know, um, I need to ensure that I'm in the right position to when you're working in a petrochemical plant. You need to recognize that when you see an alarm go off, you know what to do. Or let's say you're working with a team and they're possibly going to um, lift or move something. Then, you know, you have to assess the situation to realize if everything is in place to do the job right. Or if you need to say, okay, we need to pause for a minute to make sure that we have everything to do it right. Or even if, it, if it's in a, a workshop setting and they're assembling a component and you recognize that 
hey, I need to take a minute to be able to do this inspection right because my mind isn't quite all here. I'm focusing on something else. Just, you know, let me take a minute. Being able to have that awareness to do that, I think, is where it's um, really key. That's, that's kind of where I see it as the biggest challenge. All right. That's quite interesting. And that, because that's, that's the mental side of it that you're kind of leaning towards at the end. So after we have taught people how to sit right, then we also tell them or teach them how to be mentally prepared. Is that correct understood? Yes, I would say yes. You're, that's quite accurate because you, you do have to be mentally prepared for a lot of these tasks because they require that you're totally aware of your surroundings when you're performing some of these tasks. For example, in my world, there is something called a hot tap. A hot tap is where there's a live uh, line, pipeline, process line, and you're actually going to do some work on that live line. So there's several permits that need to happen. And if you're, you're gonna do that job, you know, for the sake of yourself and for everybody else that's involved, you really wanna be 100% there. So there's, you know, there's situations that require you to be mentally there and you have to recognize in yourself that hey, you know, if I'm not 100% there, this may not go well for, you know, everyone that's around me and myself. And in your perspective, when, when do you think that people will be ready to recognize that this is no different than doing lifting right or sitting right? Um, you know, that's a great question. There's, there's a lot of... Um, great organizations, um, just like yours, you know, doing a lot of groundbreaking work into um, getting the industry moving in that direction. Um, I think a lot of the government organizations are typically, um, you know, probably 10 years behind in terms of adopting those type of things as standards, at least, you know, in, in more progressive uh, countries or areas of the world. Um, so when is, you know, typically contextual to the, um, the environment that these organizations operate in and the customers? A lot of things are driven by customers and their needs and uh, sometimes customers recognizing that there's a, a gap in the skill and you know they want to help uh, fill that gap so I, when um i hope it's now <laughs> i hope it's now but um it may well be you know another 10 years yeah I, I completely agree with you and, and I must say that a, a huge part of what we actually do, especially in our executive program, is to actually educate on how it is that we make the HSC purpose to be part of 
and directly correlated with the business purpose because whenever it can speak to a customer, whenever it can give you an advantage in a tender process that you're actually ahead of someone else, another organization, this is where it gets me going, right? Because whenever we can combine that of actually succeeding in bringing more people home safe, creating cost savings, but also delivering business opportunity from an HSC point of view, this is where it all happens to me, right? Because then we know, because historically speaking, the only thing that's not gonna die out, regardless of how much innovation we have in the world, regardless of how many robots that are coming, the only thing that's not gonna die out in business is making money or saving money. (laughs) And if we can actually combine making great HSC work, go straight into that, we know that it will have a continuous focus for each and every person in an organization. And this is what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's fantastic. It's great work, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. That is very much appreciated. That That's not the purpose of the podcast, not to, <laughs> to fit for that. But thank you. It, it is really, really appreciated. All right. So is there anything that you, because we're getting to kind of the end of the podcast, but I always like to ask, so is there anything that you feel that I haven't asked yet that you would actually like to share into the community of the HSC world? Yeah, uh, well, I think if you're a HSC professional and you're listening to this and, you know, maybe you're in school, you're still, you know, studying, deciding if HSC is a career for you. I would say, you know, get involved in the professional societies that's in your area. Um, find out when they're meeting and, you know, raise your hand, volunteer to, to do stuff, get plugged into the network because one of the most valuable things that's out there for HSC professionals is the network. And you'll find professionals like myself, like Bourne, that's we are available to help anyone that says, hey, I need some help. Oh, I need some advice, you know. The main thing is, you know, to show up and to, you know, have a great attitude, volunteer, get involved in the network, learn from uh, the mistakes that myself and others may have made or have experienced. And you don't have to make the same mistakes and you can have all great experiences. You know, that's (laughs) my aim is to ensure everyone has a great experience because we, the time we spend um, with each other is meant to build relationships, not only to work, you know, it's always nice to build a good relationship. And, you know, when you come to the end of your work career, you know, what you take away is these great relationships. So, you know, I would encourage you if, if even if you're a seasoned professional, you know, try out one of the meetings. You know, see if you like it, volunteer with the group, you know, you might meet some people you like. Great. That is absolutely fantastic advice. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. First of all, it has been a true pleasure to have you on this podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Beautiful. All right. Have a fantastic day and we'll speak shortly. Okay. Bye, everybody.
thank you so much for listening to this episode about the human factor in HSE. I hope that it brought some value to your everyday work. And I truly hope that this can be a small part of you actually being able to send more people home safe, create significant cost savings and truly get the appreciation for the work that you deliver to your organization. If you have any sort of feedback or comments to anything that you have heard on this particular episode, please do go to acceptplanexecute.com and reach out to us. I'm always eager to learn from any kind of feedback that you must have. Have a great day.